Live from Kalaloo Studios in New York City, you are listening to Let's Take It Offline with your host, Kishana Palmer. Hey, Fab Crew. You're listening to Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. Part inspiration, part sit down. Let's have a conversation. Here's where you'll find the real deal about living well and leading well. I'm Kashana Palmer, your host and resident leadership whiz. And now let's take this offline. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. I am so excited to have with me in the studio Joy Pittman, known as the Olivia Pope of HR. Y'all, you know that means she just gets it done. Joy is a well-known and highly sought after human resources strategist and management expert. As the founder of JVP Legacy, Joy leans into her 15 years of experience to create, coordinate, and manage foundational systems to help catapult her clients to levels of exponential growth. Prior to starting JVP, Joy served in the for-profit and not-for-profit sectors as an HR leader across industries, including social services, healthcare, education, real estate, management, and corporate finance. Y'all know she's my kind of girl. Joy holds a master's degree in human resource management a bachelor's degree in economics. She holds her certifications and designations of having an SPHR, a SHRM, SCP, and y'all is a 2022 JD candidate at Rutgers Law School in Newark, New Jersey. Let's welcome Joy to the show. All right, friends, we are back with another awesome episode, and I could not be more excited to have with me in the studio my friend, uh, famously known as the Olivia Pope of HR. Joy, welcome, my friend, to the show. I'm so glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I know other people say it, but I really mean it when I say it. I always, always, always am uh, grateful and appreciative when people share their time and their audiences with me. So I'm so happy to be here today. I'm ready to get get into this tea or yeah, come on. chat, whatever we call it whatever today. Whatever we call right? it today, to right? It. First of all, Jay, can I just <laughs> yeah. say, like, why does the language change every minute? Like, I can't keep up. Every time, mm. every time my daughter gives me a new word, I'm like, sis, I just, I mean, can't we just use, like, hype and fly? Like, I just don't. <sighs> oh, no, I'm still using, I'm still using for most most days I'm still using nineties. Correct. Stuff is still dope. You know, that's it. It's still fresh and green. That's it. Because actually was the best decade ever. I don't care what anybody says. That's well, when I was, you know, was it? Uh, century. You know, century, no argument. No argument Where's there. I mean, here we are. <laughs> the music, the fashion's a little iffy, but it was, but it was correct. Like one thing I will say about like growing up in the nineties for me, I was a, in high school in the mid nineties going into college. And mm-hmm. I just remember that like, there was just not this like pressure 
to be more than you were, you just had to be fly. Like no matter what part of the country you were from, whatever your regional style of dress, I'm a New Yorker. And so here it was all about your acrylic nails. If you could afford it, matching your outfit for the two weeks. And I was about that matchy life. Okay. So every outfit for 14 days matched clear. All of, all of them, all of them. All of them. All and of them. you literally thought about the outfits before you even got your nails done because you did not need to have a color that you had to go back and get changed. Correct. Because they charged you for this color change. Correct. It. Yeah, we wasn't here for it. Wasn't here for that. And, and if you Understood. had to fly airbrush, if like you had to know the person who really, mm-hmm. really could get an airbrush <laughs> of life, right? <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know what I'm talking about. So listen, we, we have time. So, you know, we, <laughs> we should do things a little bit differently. Well, differently. And so here, here's what they didn't teach us in the 90s, that when we went into the workplace after college, that things would switch up, that maybe we'd have to leave some of that stuff at home. Why they didn't teach us that, Joy? I don't understand. That so was, here's the thing, right? Tell me. And I think this is the, I think they were trying to, but they weren't telling us what it was. Right, uh. so my mother did not love. So you got to think like my mom did not enjoy the nails being so long or the colors, or she didn't enjoy it. But it came across as mom stuff. Mom's just being picky about mom stuff. No one explained to us that all of the individuality that we were told to foster, I guess, through high school, right. and then the self that we were supposed to find in college was not going to be appropriate for the corporate space. At no all. one told us that part. At all. So you said explore it, find it, and then package it away. <laughs> Put it right in your pocket and tuck it. Because they, they're, they're not here for it. They're not here for it. They're not here for it. And yeah. in fact, the message that I got was, you're going to work to work. You're not there to make friends. You're there to do your job. Mm-hmm. And so I came out of undergrad, went into grad school, came out of grad school, fresh, minty MBA, thinking I'm fly, right? I'm 21 years old. I've turned 22 with a fresh to death MBA. I'm thinking I'm the thing, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I got mine early. Mm, done. Also, experience? Uh, No. Okay. And so having to get an right. education in all of the things that you did not learn in your program, at least not in my school, one of which is part of going to get a graduate degree is for the networks that you will need in order to be able to move through your career fluidly or at least with fewer obstacles also wasn't taught in any class. I'm just saying, why didn't anybody say anything? You you need you want it too much. You want it more than they were willing to give essentially. Okay. So I I want want it more than they were willing to give Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think, when was the first time that you realized like, oh, oh, I'm gonna have to leave this part of my flyness at the house? So I'm gonna be absolutely honest with you. And I think it's just important to call this out. So I am a light complected African-American woman with air quotes that you can't see good hair and facial features that are not heavy i'm still air quoting yep so i am generally or was generally in most instances the tokenable black person before i understood what that was mm. i was a tokenable black person i was the acceptable black person and so i actually did not run into a lot of the issues of not being my whole self i think until i actually started thinking more about how I wanted to show up 
because I think I fell into the normalization of college. So I went to college in the city. So there was a city vibe and then I started working. So I think I very early took on this was corporate or this is what it meant to be a professional mm-hmm. as opposed to it me realizing that I, that it was really whiteness. Like it wasn't professionalness. It was that we defined professionalness by yeah, white standards. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was whiteness. So I actually realized the first time I decided. So I so let's think about certain things like I had a perm. But when I was younger, I'm tender-headed, so I didn't really wear braids. There were certain things that were considered uh, ethnic and cultural that I wasn't actually engaging in until I actually got older. So I ran into some things at the point where, I think in my early 20s, when I decided to go natural, mainly because I didn't like that my hair didn't have any body after a perm. I started noticing that I would perm my hair so I had length, but it would just be flat, and I actually was liking my hair more when my perm had grown out <laughs> than when it was fresh. So essentially I was like, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to go natural. So I did a big chop before it was popular. I cut my hair off before we had a million products for it. Um, and so I went through first people going through the drama of you cut off your hair and we, we won't unpack on this call what hair means, even for other black people. Like if you have long hair and cut it, it's almost like you did something to the whole community. The Some of the stuff that we still community. have our minds wrapped up in, right? And so it wasn't until I started wearing my hair natural and the people who actually initially made me feel conscious about it were black people. Yep. Essentially, maybe white people thought it. But, but black nobody saying that to your face about that. Oh, no. Right. Oh, no. The most, the most I had a manager, the first time I walked into um, the office, I ran a, a part of an organization where I ran the New York office mm-hmm. and the CEO was in a different office on the other side of the country. And I decided to, uh, finally take out the, the, my, the weave I had, cause we weren't calling it units at that time. We didn't get fancy with the, with the lexicon, um, at that time. And I came in the office and my team, my team was like, wait a minute, who, what, what lady is this? Hold on. And then mm-hmm. the CEO had, uh, fl- flew in for a meeting that week. And I was stressed because I was like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. how's my hair going to show up when I go meet with donors? What people are going to say, blah, blah, blah. And my man looked at me and was like, oh, you're cool. That's different. All right. Ready to go. And I was like, what? Meanwhile, at the house, yeah. between my mama, two of my best friends, you know, three friends, the dude I was dating at the time. What, what, you, do, what, you, mm-hmm. do, what you do with your hair? What you planning to do? We're not What's even going to unpack that. We no, we're not. We're not going to do that today. No, we're not. Hey, we're going to need two <laughs> hours, today. two cocktails, mm-hmm. and people going to have to just mm-hmm. pull up a blanket. Okay, then they're going to need a nap. Mm-hmm. And so, like you, you know, I remember coming into work, and this is my confession, that I reveled in being an only for a really long time. And I couldn't even yeah. articulate what that was because I started my career, you know, at a position early enough that I didn't even realize how I had yeah. been tokenized. And so I thought I was and, doing this almost. And it made you feel like this meant that you had accomplished this great feat that others were not worthy exactly. <laughs> of having a change. Heck yeah. And so we wore, we, we wore tokenization with the badge of honor. And I think, so even in in those moments, then it was about maintaining your token position. And so I I never forget, I was actually looking to change jobs. I had, had a pretty decent progression. And I was like, you know what? I've been in this particular organization for seven years. The turnover in the organization was really low. People stayed there for a long time. But what was happening was I wanted to learn more and I was capped at a level that 
I was yes. like, I'm not going to sit here for 10 years, right? And so mm-hmm. I started looking and I remember going to um, search firms. This is my first encounter with mm-hmm. executive searching firms. And I went in for, they asked you to come in for an interview mm-hmm. and I went in for the interview and the person basically told me, you know, you present well, you have a really strong resume. We love everything, but how are you going to wear your hair to the interview? That's what the Baby. person told me. And it was a black woman. Yes. And I said, I mean, in my head, this is what I would be going outside like. Like, it, this was all of it. I didn't forget to do my hair and get dressed. Like, this is what we were <laughs> to do. And she, she advised me to wear my hair back. And I think what is absolutely funny is that even when I caught myself getting free, I still would interview with my hair either pulled back in a bun or a unit mm-hmm. or something that covered whatever my hair was going to look like. And then I would slowly shock them. and Like I would just slowly come in maybe one day with the bun out so you could see that it was a natural puff and then maybe it would be out or you know, at that point, by that time, I started doing braids and different things. But I remember literally at moments having like these seasons where like my hair would go, like if I was looking for a job, everybody would know like, are you interviewing? Because right. my hair would go back to that, like almost like to the, to the edge. Like the folk would, yeah. When the folks stopped smoking weed so they could pass drug tests. That's it. That's I was it. doing that That's it. with my look. And um, I defended it for a long time, especially as a person in human resources because for me it was you know you get you get your foot in the door and And then then. you can open up things Mm -hmm. and then and then one of my friends said to me so when is your foot ever further far far enough in the door because essentially I had been saying that for a number of years like I got to get in and then I can affect change from the inside and she said at what point has your foot entered the door you're like are you, you like, are you at what point are is you your there? body in like you are know you at what point do you get the shoulder in the door you're like is, it, is it now she, <laughs> yeah yeah and exactly. she challenged me to think about that mm-hmm. and in her doing that it also challenged me to in process even the power i have like yeah you work hard to build this resume or to build you, you get the degrees you get all these things to have options and then you're in the mirror for four hours trying to figure out your hair for the interview. Like oh we do all the things we do all to the be things. able to pick where you want to go and how you want to navigate. And then we're reduced to, you know, whether how how to how to actually dress and which way you wear your hair and lashes or no lashes and, and soaking it goes off to your a colors. performance like overnight. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we're about to be on stage. And then yeah. a lot of us learn over time to carry that performative nature into our daily lives so that it it starts yeah. to bleed outside of work. And you know what I'm yeah. talking about. You know, we we both have friends who, you know, they might be finding their way now, but we always have ones who kind of never kind of find it. Where they still putting on right this minute. And you're like, hey, yeah. Hi, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been home in a pandemic, also known as the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> for the last uh, 11 months. You know, you could chill on that, right? Like, just the whole you, thing. You can stop fixing your voice for the phone call. You can. You can actually you can. just talk regular. Just regular, okay? Like, you, mm-hmm. you can just talk regular. And folks don't know how to do it. And the place that that showed up for me, that I had to check myself um, early, was in how I hired. So we're going to go there. And so when you are, hey, stretch, touch your toes, people. If you're listening right now, I need you to just go on and press pause, touch your toes and come back because Uh we need to talk about what happens 
when you get into the position where you need to start managing people. So lots of Mm -hmm. folks get into a manager's role when they were an individual performer. Now, you know, we could have all types of conversation about nepotism and cronyism and mediocrity and so forth. But let's just for a second pretend that you were promoted because in your individual contributor role, you killed the game. And so Mm -hmm. now you're in this role where you are responsible for the work and the path to goal for a team. And all of a sudden we're in uncharted waters and we're bringing all of that performative stuff, the way that we've been taught, the way we're supposed to show up, the way that we have learned that is professional, also known as white normative behavior into the workplace. And it starts to trickle into the way that we start bringing on people. So what do you see as like one of the big, like, I know you didn't do that when it comes to being in a position of power. And I'll use that. I'll pretend it's italicized and air quotes and needing to hire, particularly when you are a person of color, a black or brown person. So I, what I will say, um, let me preface this with saying that I believe that black people are some of the most Patriotic uh, is one of the words that came up the other day. Mm-hmm. And we are, I believe that as a whole, we are good natured people in that we do not do back to the world what the world has done to us when given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We have to be literally pushed to the edge for us to, to, to kind of clap back. As much as they try to treat us like a bunch of violent people, et cetera, I look at Black America, basically watch its sons and daughters be slaughtered for years. Um, in between any time we decided to clap hard, yep. right? And then I watched white people storm the Capitol because their president lost the election. Yep. So I look at our tolerance levels as it relates to, but what I've also realized is that embedded in that sometimes that willingness for, for, for others to be so self-involved and, and self self-preserving that we don't do that. So I'll watch white people have no problem hiring the whole department to be white people. I will watch Asians. I will watch Hispanic. I, watch, I even Hispanics. I'll watch other ethnicities and I've watched a number of times and I've even done it. So let me not act like I've always been um, in this elevated place <laughs> that I'm in today. <laughs> But I've, you I've watched today. the sun is yeah. shining. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've watched us almost act like to hire only black people was a horrible thing, even if they were qualified. Yes. My friend would say, you're taking on a project. And she would go, oh, Kashana, you know, I don't know. You're taking on a project. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be careful, mm-hmm. you know, because if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. then there's never going to be anybody else behind you or them. And it mm-hmm. just would be, and you just have trepidation. Your your stomach hurts. Your stomach mm-hmm. is in knots. You've already given this person a narrative, right? Yep. Yes. And you're looking and you don't even give the person the room to be human because now they have to be perfect yes. in order not to tarnish. And here's the part that we don't really own. We're really, it's really personal survival in a way that's a little different, right? Yes. So if this person messes up, it's not that they just mess up for themselves, but this person now represents all black people throughout the entire organization to the end of time. So but more so, I've worked too hard to get here to let someone else mess up my reputation. And we say that in a way that I think does not own the idea 
that uh, one, we don't carry the burden for the entire black community just because we're sitting in a role no matter what we're made to believe. But also working really hard to get there is really also about being able to make the path easier for somebody else. Yes. Not for somebody, not for other people to come and elevate you higher and keep shining off your pristine reputation. So at some point you should have bought enough goodwill. Like, you know, I have a credit card and if I pay my monthly payment on time every month, essentially if I miss a month, they don't cancel my credit card, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have enough goodwill. So I also feel like for us, we are perpetuated, right? That we never have enough goodwill. And so we not just have to, we don't just have to be perfection and work five times as hard. We push that onto other people. And it's almost like we're so adverse to somebody else making a mistake on our name that we would rather open the door for a white person than another black person because it comes with too much responsibility. Absolutely. And I think that part we have to get our minds away from and to be honest. And, you know, we will we'll unpack some of this if the conversation lends to it. But part of why I exited the corporate space and have started doing some of the work that I do is really because I just got tired of that pressure to, to have to cat once I have to carry it to, to watch it be done. And to be honest, even when I decided to, at one point in one organization, my entire team were black and brown women, but I always then realized and I couldn't turn it off that I was pushing them to be better than perfect yes. because then we also couldn't be the team of black and brown women that dropped any balls. Right. Cause there's no, there's no such thing as being regular degular. Like that, that's not it. That's not a thing where you can Mediocrity just like, is for white men. Correct. And the, <laughs> I mean, preserved, preserved, <laughs> you know? And so the reality is when you are in leadership seat and I do want to talk about, you know, exiting one of the things that came to mind was my dad was telling me this story um, he worked in corrections in here in New York City for 20 years. And that wasn't even his first career. That wasn't the first job career. That was like number eight. You know, we Jamaican. So as he said the other day, there's a lot of jobs. We had a lot of jobs. And I remember asking him, like, why he never took the captain's test, why he never, because he was a union rep the whole time. He's well-respected. He's well-known. And he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't want the responsibility. But he never went into mm-hmm. that. And when we started talking about that, it was early enough in my career that I think I didn't quite know how to ask for like, well, why not? Well, what? give me the, the context. Because what he told me recently was like, yeah, you know, if I failed, that was going to be a whole lot of folks who relied on me to win that, that wouldn't get the opportunity. And so I just figured, let me just do this job here and go home to my family and make sure my kids are good. Somebody else could worry about that part. And, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, folks might be reluctant to step into leadership positions or um, apprehensive about bringing others along for that very thing that did you just name, which is the, the, the weight real and imagined, but definitely real Mm -hmm. that if there is a misstep, that it's not just a misstep of human nature or it's not just a misstep potentially of skill or of will, but instead of competency that's tied to race that like brings mm-hmm. in a whole other different paradigm into the situation. And so you f- might find yourself as a manager and as a, a leader in your organization, making decisions to your point that are on a thousand when they don't need to be. And that in of itself puts pressure on us in a way that is soul crushing. It absolutely is. And I think, and then we perpetuate it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not blaming us for perpetuating it. 
right? Because we're also trying to navigate the space. Yes. We we also don't reach the place where we are above. It's not. It's never really above us now, it's right? It's still <laughs> within us or below us now. Where it's still there. So I get it. I just wonder at times. This is my wonder. It's a wonder moment. Because so, I want this to come. I don't want this to come across as if I'm judging someone else's survival tactics. Because I understand that if you are in the corporate space in this moment, it is a survival game for many people. Mm-hmm. It is a survive. It is not a thrive. It is you know this is a number. And I need this number, and so I'm going to deal with everything else. Um, But what I love to try to challenge and what I challenge myself to consider is, what if I had been a little bit more courageous? Mm. Would it have resulted in me? I I, I feel like I never, this is the one thing that I do realize. I never made them show me exactly what they thought of me because I played it very safe. And then when I no longer wanted to play it safe, I exited But there are moments where I think about what if knowing that exit was in my strategy, what if before I walked away, I pushed and tried to make a little bit more impact before I left? Absolutely. And what would that have looked like? And I, I, you know, you were talking and I was, my eyes are closed and just kind of just taking that in. And I remember the time that I actually did decide to push. So um, now it's many years ago, oh Lord, but a few years ago, I remember going to a management and leadership training specifically for managers of color. And it was like a new training of its kind by this particular well-known management training organization. We were the first cohort. They hadn't quite figured out what they were doing yet. We were, you know, essentially guinea pigs, which as you know, that means things went Mm -hmm. all the way left. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I had realized that, you know, I had shared with you a little earlier that I wasn't only and proud of it, you know, and I became undone so much so that I couldn't even speak about the experience for weeks. I was so affected by all the ways in which I had been giving myself little paper cuts over the years. And I was like, oh, my God, I am a professional career cutter. Like, this is crazy because I to survive, you know, I thought I was making decisions that were in my best interest, but at the detriment to how many other folks, even that I hadn't seen yet, or even just to myself. And I remember I'm having a conversation with uh, my then CEO and being able to finally name the ways in which I was erased from leadership conversations. And I sat on the C-suite. And so, you know, erased from conversations, small things like the CEO would introduce every other C-suite member, would run all the information down to their darn graduate degrees, and then would turn to me and say, okay, Kashana, go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah. And being able to name it and articulate it, I was like, all right, now that I've said something and I know I'm in the circle of trust, you know, I said, come on, let's come up with a code word that if you're doing something and I, I get a little code word, you know, our safe word that, you know, you've toe tipped into a territory <laughs> that we don't need to be in. No one has to know but us. Right. I'm thinking I'm doing right. a good thing. Like I have created a bridge, a bridge out is what you're saying. Right. So. And I think, you know, if if this conversation, these conversations are, are the heart, they bring me joy to have no pun intended, but also they're very hard to have. And I, I think my mind changes just a touch every time because that's the, these conversations also make me be very self-reflective as you sit in the conversation, right? So you sit in the conversation that says, if representation matters, then me navigating this and being there in and of itself as a representation matters. Right. 
whether or not I was in the back moving everything and, and knocking the stuff down and I was in the, the bull in the china shop, that somebody in that organization saw me, no matter how un, un, unimpactful I may have felt based on how I was being actually treated, they saw that there was one C-suited person that looked like them. And so maybe that did something for them, right? So that that's the one side. Then the other side is, does representation without influence so really matter? And so if I'm there from a representational perspective, but I'm not actually able to make this space better for the person that says, oh, they're close to the person that looks like me, yeah. then what was the value of the representations? But I battle with this. Like, these are not things that I figured out. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I'm th- this about. is a battle. This is like the fight. Yeah. This is like going from one-on-one in freshman year <laughs> to the grad school course of the similar topic, right? Where you have to start really looking at the, the nuance of the conversation. Because one of the things that popped up immediately when you said this was how does being a person of color who's and listen, I, I say this with the specific caveat, Joy, who identifies as a person of color every single day, oh, well, not just yeah. when it's convenient for your checkbox, not just when it's for your website. Exactly. Hey, hey, talk about it. So now we're going to take a quick break. So use this moment to stand up, plant your feet firmly on the ground, reach for the sky, and stretch. Get that oxygen into your lungs, friend. We'll be right back. Love what you heard? Found a little nugget, but need more? Head on over to kishcamp.com, my masterclass for managers who are ready to do things differently at work and grow their skills so they can lead with confidence. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Now, let's head back to take this offline. So how do you think being a professional of color influences your influence? Like, how have you seen that show um, up these days and how is that changing? I, I would love to see like what your evolving thought is around that. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to say to this. And I think so earlier this year, and then, you know what? I may have heard somebody else say, it. I don't remember that they did, but in my head, I came up with it and I think <laughs> I'm going to leave it. Leave it there. If you think you said it, if you hear me say it and think you said it first, and I put that disclaimer out there, but in my head, I came up with it, and I think it's good. I remember looking at, I had, so I collect artwork, and I had a piece done for a friend of mine who I recently got a, a, a promotion, and so COVID slowed everything down, but I finally got the piece, and I remembered, I remember this process now of thinking about how to get it framed. Like, I'm not going to just give them the canvas. I want to get it framed. And somewhere in this whole thing, I was like, you know what? I'm real. I really had this moment. Like the picture is the picture. Mm-hmm. Picture's done already. Like I can do nothing with this picture, but I get to frame it. Yes. Right. So that has been something that I've, I'm holding on to. All of coming out of 2020, moving into 2021. That 2020 was what it was. Mm-hmm. It was. It was what, what it, it was. was. But 
I get to frame it. I get to frame the loss. I get to frame the stress, the transitions, the positive things, because I also had some really great wins in 2020. Mm-hmm. I get to frame um, the, the, the solitude that comes with living alone in a pandemic versus mm-hmm. other things. I get to frame that. And then I get to frame 20. 21 and it's funny because going into 2020 i'm i'm actually answering the question i know it feels like the no i love it but no, even going into even going into 2020 i found a live where everybody kept saying 2020 was about perfect you know 2020 is perfect vision 2020 is perfect vision and normally when people say stuff over and over again i'm like i want to look that up because you know I, I i tend to be i have geeks in me Oh right. my God, that's why we and go so together. And so when I looked it up, <laughs> when I looked it up, 2020 vision is not perfect vision. It's actually average vision. What 2020 vision says is that you see at 20 feet what everybody else sees at 20 feet. Or what the normal eye sees at 20 feet. And so for people that are like, like in certain roles in the military, sniper, things like that, they have to actually have, I believe it's like 2010 vision right and so they see at 20 feet so they see further away what other people have to be 10 feet up to something in order to see they have better clarity right yes. but 2020 means that you see what the average eye sees anything less than that you have poor vision but 2020 vision is not perfect vision it is average vision and so i kept saying i feel like this is going to be about perception and so i was like talking about peripheral vision and like how, like i literally did a whole live i'm gonna dig it up yeah, so I'm like, I want to see it. No, 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 it's awesome. I'll no, share we're it gonna, with We're going to drop that right in the show notes as soon as you find it, because I'm like, Literally. people need all the vision. Yeah, I'll share it with you. But it was like, I remember that. And so when 2020 started happening, I was like, okay. And then that picture just wrapped it up. Like, it's, you get to pick the frame, the perception, all that stuff. So what I would say is that I'm learning now that influence as I had defined it versus influence as I now define it are very different. And I battled with it because I also didn't want to create a version or definition of influence that was more a consolation prize because I could not be influential where I thought I should be, right? So I also didn't want to be that person that created some new thing that fit a narrative that made me be comfortable. But what I realized is that I traded off a lot of influence in corporate because I was caring about where it was pointed more than who it was impacting. So because I didn't walk in a room and all of those folks changed all of their decisions because I was there, I discounted the two young ladies that would talk to me about my desk and have conversations. And I was really, and they would be like, oh, you're, you're so amazing. You make me feel so empowered. I neglected and I discounted that influence. Because I discounted you- the black women along the way. Yep. The things I was doing, I discounted that because it wasn't them. And that is, I think, back to what you and I talked about. I think, you know, the the decade we, we came of age in has a lot to yeah. do with our orientation and generationally mm-hmm. to work. You know, like I know I'm an exer who when I came into the workplace, you know, I had, um, you know, baby boomer bosses and the way of of learning how to work, paying your dues, giving what you're given, mm-hmm. heads down, doing your work. That, 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 like that kind of idea, like it is foundational enough that it sticks with you. And one of the things that we don't talk about that came with it is our obsession with whiteness and expertise in whiteness mm-hmm. and leaning on white voices 
um, as who are the experts. So when you were talking just now, I was thinking about the fact like, oh, that's why if I wasn't mm-hmm. validated by fill in the blank expert out mm-hmm. there in the world who couldn't give two hoot nannies about whether I exist or don't exist. And mm-hmm. I would in the same breath, not ignore, but like sort of dial the volume down on the emails mm-hmm. that I would get or the folks who would say, I didn't leave this sector because of you. I just want mm-hmm. you to know that I didn't turn my resignation in today, which I had written typed, have my husband read mm-hmm. because of what I heard you say last night. I'm going to go mm-hmm. back and finally get an accountability partner. Like, yep. and my desire to get that level of approval, to get that nod didn't go away when I left my corporate job. Yep. There, I think the thing is that, and I think we have to be careful of what narrative we give, right? Yes. Because now that I think about, I've been all hyper-emotional today. So if this gets a little, my voice crack a little, we just No, we here, we here, we here. What I did not do, um, when I think back now, how empowered, so when, so when those young women would say positive things to me, I would say, oh, thank you. But I wonder if in any moment, if I had made them feel like, or if I had gone out of my way to make them feel like, or if I had actually felt so empowered about them that I actually felt like their compliment or what that, that email, like you referenced, mm-hmm. was the validation that I needed, how empowered they would have felt. Because I think also when they're telling us we're great and we're like, yeah, but you know, my boss. What we're essentially saying to them is that your voice doesn't, as much as we're saying we want to empower them, we're saying actually, no, your voice doesn't really matter as much as theirs does. Because you're telling me, you're affirming me. And I'm like, yeah, but, uh, but, you know, if I have to think like, if you know, you and I, you know, we best friends in our heads. And so essentially if I'm like, girl, you are slaying today. You're like, yeah, I know, but you know, so and so said I they ain't really like my dress, and I'm big. Cause someone's like, well, who the hell is so and so, and why do they get to outweigh like what I say? We we, we in this, right? Like, like what's happening right, right you know? now? So I think that's the part it's in our relationship, right? We wouldn't tell our significant other if they complimented us. We wouldn't tell them, right, that another person, not similarly situated, right, another non-significant other, Ooh. told us something different. You would, you would know never to fix your face, but we do that. And so in those, I guess, in owning our power, right? Like yes. I think positioning where we do have, so I, and I, and I'll, I'll share some things with you that if you want to share with the audience, you can, it's not really a plug. It's just things that are, as they're coming to no, my mind, tell them, the talk, conversation, yeah, the conversation around power and influence, we've assigned it to whiteness. When you look at the definition, right? When you think about like power and influence, Influence is the ability to change another, the actions or the courses of another person. So I'm going to say that every black person has influence, and you can see it all over TV, mm-hmm. all over culture, everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we are born influential, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. That's just who we are. Power is the ability to give access. But we have assigned power to positionality. But guess what? If I, if I as the HR person, can make sure that that black girl's resume at least got seen. That was my power. That was your power. That was your power. And we've, we've acted like we don't have any yes. because we don't have it with them per se. Yes. And, and we're we, overlooking ooh. the people that we do have power and influence with who people that would love for us to have a conversation. And I'm 
I'm going to say this because I hope it builds somebody because it builds the hell out of me. I literally went to North Carolina a couple weeks ago and I'm in North Carolina and I go into a, I go to find me a, a, a black owned beauty supply store. Mm-hmm. I'm in a couple business groups on Facebook and I'm in this. So I go into the store and I'm in the store looking around and there's a person that's kind of lingering. There's a person that works there. There's another person that's there in the, in the backdrop. And I notice her, she notices me. I keep looking around. Like my hair is purple or pink at most times. So like people, yes. I think, catch me before I recognize yes. what he's done. Yes, yes, and yes, so yes. we're masked up in the store. And when I get to, I get my items, with my friend, we talking, I get to the register to pay. The person comes behind, she's behind the table. She looks over and she goes, oh my God, it's Joy Pittman. Now, I am freaked out like, ma'am, do I owe you yes. money? I don't know oh what's happening. Right? Whatever that happened. Oh but my apparently, <laughs> apparently little old me little old is a part of a business group. that and, the, and so how I've been posting and showing up in the group, there's a group of those individuals that are like, we can't wait till our businesses are big enough to work with her. So she's like, you're on my list. I got to call my friend. We were just talking about you. And in that moment, like moments like that, as insignificant as I may have been feeling in that moment, Somebody fanned out over me, right? Yes. And there are so many moments. But now, if I had just never been randomly in North Carolina looking for a Black-owned beauty supply store, right? Yes. I would have never known that. And I want every person, every woman, man, of co- any person just not feeling validated or not. There's somebody standing out over you low-key. Low-key. That you don't waiting. even know about. And we're walking around wanting somebody else to notice us and there's somebody that would literally gasp and catch their breath and to talk to or to engage or to be in our presence and we have to own that own it and seek out those levels yes and and just seek out those places it's so funny like the reason this is bringing tears my eyes and it reminds me first of all i'm so glad that that happened to you that that experience happened to you because the the ripple effect of that is just going to just have just game-changing effects. And I just think to back to your point about the impact aspect that when we talk about impact, we have trivialized what impact really means. And we have mm-hmm. we have boiled it down to the mush of, these are what my sales numbers look like. And these are what my fundraising yeah. goals look like. And this is what my blah, blah, blah goals look like, as opposed to what is the behavioral change that you can't right. even see it that is happening. And so that is so wild. And also to me, it reminds me of the very first time that somebody ran up to me in the airport and I was like, um, what is happening here? I was so like, I freaked out. I didn't tell anybody, Joy, like no one. Okay. And then a few months later, um, one of my best friends and I, um, were at a conference and she and I were speaking on a panel and, um, she decided to stick around for a few extra days. She was like, I just want to see how you work. I never get to see, you know, just you and just you and the action and the motion. And after the first day, she was like, girl, you need to hire somebody full time. Secondly, do you not mm-hmm. see how these people like you and what kind of effect you have on folks? Like, I'm gonna right. need you to, to to stop playing small today. And I was like, because I didn't think I was playing small, Joe. I just want you to know I was real tired. <laughs> so I did mm-hmm. not think that I was playing small. And she was like, I need you to cut that mess out. Like, 
you are doing the yeah. work and just going about minding your business. She was like, you will, you know, people just gravitate to that. And you have got to learn to pay attention to that and not the other stuff you were seeking. And at that time, I couldn't even really, you know, absorb it in a real way. It kind of just hit me on the, like, you know, with the lotion that doesn't really go on your skin. It just hits you on the surface. Right. It smells good. But it took some time. <laughs> it took some time. And so you just said that to me right now. It brought that back to me. And I wonder how many of us have had some version of that experience. And for folks who are like, well, I'm not, I'm not out there like that. I'm not on that. No, Joy, you just said something else. Whose resume did you look over a second time and made sure it got to the end? I remember one of the most mm-hmm. the, the most pivotal career things that I decided to do um, around how I manage and lead people was in searches that I run. And I do, I work alongside with a really awesome um, executive search firm now and um, work with clients who are doing their search firms. I'm doing their searches for themselves in-house. And one of the things that I right. always do, I, first of all, I'm, I'm a nerd like you, so I go through every resume. I can't help myself. But secondly... <laughs> Let me tell you what's not going to stop me from passing somebody along. A spelling error. And if somebody, right. and particularly a black woman, if they, if I know that I can pick up the phone and go, hey, you're about to walk into this interview process. I just want to make sure that you are clear on what it is you're going in to say. I'm happy to have um, a quick coaching conversation with you before you go in. I'm not making the assumption you don't know what you're doing, but making sure that you are clear from what you saw on the website, the social media, that all that aligns to the interview process you're about to walk into. Do you want to talk about it for 10 minutes? It has not cost me a thing. Yeah. And if somebody doesn't make it in a search, I pick up the phone and I say, I am happy. Mm-hmm. Leaving a voice note. I pick up the phone. I say, I'm happy to have a 20 minute debrief with you about the interview process so that you can prepare for your next process. It didn't yeah. cost me nothing. 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 And to your point, that, and, that's the influence and the impact. That's, that's, I mean, ooh, you just broke it down. You broke it down. Mm-mm, you broke it down. Yeah, that, this stuff is really, you know, that's the stuff. If we get, it doesn't matter if we get to the seat, if we're not mentally prepared for what it takes to be there. And I think yes. if we talk about, you know, one of the conversations that I had before leaving corporate, I remember sitting in $18 billion organization and working as an HR business partner. Having a conversation with a VP uh, who was being looked at actually for promotion under whatever diversity initiative they were doing that week, and <laughs> um, she was a high-performing, diverse. You know, no one wanted to address the fact that if she was high-performing before y'all decided to underscore diverse, why she wasn't being promoted prior to the diverse. But whatever, right? Well. Another another podcast. Another, we'll here back, we are. Right? Here we so, are. <laughs> so here we are today. We can't back everything at once. Um, so and I'm talking to her, and she was talking about how unfulfilled she was, and how she didn't feel listened to or heard. And I was asking her, "Well, where do you where do you seek value outside of here?" Yes. Felt like a real generalized question at that time I had started doing business coaching I was I was doing talks doing things so I was getting a lot of validation outside of the workplace so the workplace was just like where my dad like I had really kind of separated my mind and I was going to other places where I could pour into people um because I feel like everybody says you can't pour from empty cup but I think that sometimes um 
God can't give you anything to pour if you just go hold it in your cup. That's like I, I do believe that there's a middle to that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not going to, yeah. So if you're going to, I'm not saying that you should be giving out and depleting all of that you have, but sometimes you got to pour to know that you are to be trusted with content. Yes. That you're just not going to hold it, right? Yes. So you got to get into a pouring process. So you start engaging, you start doing things. And when I asked her that, she really said no way. And I'm thinking, you know, you are a black woman. You've reached this level. You work in an area that is not heavily black. So it's the equivalent of her working in STEAM, STEM or, you know, STEAM or whatever the equivalent. Days, not to minimize it, but I know it changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that ain't my area. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was really one of those things where, like, the only place that you're looking to be validated is here. So if they don't validate you, you won't be validated. But there's so many other people that need what you have that would validate you. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you want. And so we had a conversation. You know, we talked about a couple of things. And I remember leaving that room feeling like, I don't want this to be, like, I don't want to reach levels and my whole thing be positioned towards when is, when are they? When do when I, because they? They, they are never gonna. I wasn't told. Right? When are they? They didn't give me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that became important to me to say, what am I doing to feed the thing that really makes me happy? Or am I waiting to make enough? Because then you're like, you know, if I can get to six figures before 35, did that. If I can do this, if I can do that. You make those benchmarks Mm -hmm. and you did that. And then it's like, well, uh, yeah. So so I'm at the table and they're not really listening to me. And I remember moments of being like, I I felt better when I wasn't at the table. Right. Because at least you didn't know what was was happening over there. So you were just minding your business, doing what you do. (laughs) <laughs> and I was okay with influencing the people I was influencing. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I got to the table and felt like I needed all these other that that influencing just them wasn't enough. Wasn't enough, you know. And so that was a moment. And so I remember having that moment. And so I literally, um, I exited. I, I, you know, I got an opportunity to do an additional work, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna, gonna do that. We can stop today. We can stop this day. Hard stop. And I went through my panic attack. What I would say is is when I set my intentions, and I hope this also encourages somebody. So I set my intentions that I wanted to help black women. However, this was going to happen. Black women were going to be on my radar. If somebody else fell into the hole that I was digging, they could be in there too. Mm -hmm. But I was setting my heart and my intentions around black women. I went through um, a business coaching program called Walker's Legacy. And I went through it, and the most impactful moment for me was the black women at the table hyping me about the fact that I that, that black women needed what I wanted to do. That was just like that moment. It was only like eight of us. It wasn't even like eight thousand, but just that validation. I remember the final um, part of the ceremony where we pitched. We had to pitch out our business, and I remember I I almost like I felt like I couldn't even get through it. I was crying so hard because it was the first time I had said out loud that I want to support black women in blah, 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 blah. Like yeah. I had said women of color. I had said diverse. It was the first time that I had called out black women. Yeah. And I cried the whole time trying to get it out. Everybody else was crying. because <laughs> I was crying. Uh, and I have been so blessed and fortunate. My liter- literally my entire client roster is black women 
running high six and seven figure businesses. I literally get to serve who I want to serve. But one of the things that I realize in, in serving them is in helping them to see how powerful their influence is, where they are. They're Absolutely. running this. People are stand out over them. And they're like, well, I'm just gonna, nah. No. We, we can't, we can't do that. Humble and humble and humility is a thing. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's a form of pride that looks like humility because we're still so concerned about what people think of us yes. that we don't show up. We don't show up. And some of us are not in the corner because we're humble. We're in the corner because we're so prideful and self-involved that we won't put our own concern about how people are going to see Ooh. us and worry about us to the side to serve our purpose. That to me is pride. That's not humility. Right, because it's still all about you. Absolutely pride. And we we know that that cometh before what? The fall. Uh, A fall. And the fall don't have to be losing your job. The fall could be your health. The fall could be um, the relationship circle you're in. The fall could be loss of identity. The fall could be like feeling like you're Mm -hmm. in the wilderness. It, It just shows up. All the fall could be of- not opening the door for the person that was that destined to open the door for somebody in your family. Absolutely. We don't even we know who's connected. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That I mean, when I so, tell you that's power, that is powerful. Powerful, man. Oh, you and I could talk all day. You know that, right? Like I literally am like, we <laughs> did, I don't want it to be over. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they don't want to listen to us all day. They want to do other things. Oh, they yeah. would. They would though. But we didn't have to come back for part two. I'll be like, and now our regular guest. <laughs> listen, friend, we're gonna have to I'll do something. Visit. I'll yes. monthly visit. And I'm happy to have it. We're gonna have to do something together because people the people are not ready for us in the room though. I don't know. Maybe they are we'll be ready. <laughs> they are, they are. They're ready, they're ready, they're ready. Well, ready, how can ready. folks stay connected to you? Um, you know, how can folks work with you? I would love to make sure that for um, black female entrepreneurs and business owners who are growing multi six figure and seven figure businesses, that they have an opportunity to connect with you. So, and I'm, I am among yes. them, you know? <laughs> so oh, good stuff. So I am the Olivia Popovator. <laughs> <laughs> Most places in the social media street. Um, working with us or having, working with me and or JDP Legacy, which is actually the name of my organization. Um, we actually, which is, uh, the timing of this is actually perfect, is that we normally do full service um, strategy and serve HR services. So it's really our focus is helping black female entrepreneurs scale their businesses. But with this, the, the, our focus is on doing it through hiring because just all the research and the experience has said that our access to VC capital is limited in a number of ways. One, we're black women and most venture capitalists don't look like us. Mm-hmm. Um, two, many of our businesses are are considered low barrier to entry businesses. Yes. So consulting, um, ser- many service-based businesses, hair care, beauty, all those things are considered low barrier to entry. So they our, our businesses are not looked at favorably for VC money. And so I started looking at the fact that so many people are spending so many hours trying to chase grants and chase funding when you could actually just be doing your work, doing the work, bringing on people to help you do more of the work and scaling that way. And so we've literally scaled our business through that hiring method. So I'm not only the client, I'm the player president, right? Yeah. I eat off the place that I serve. Um, and so we have those hiring clients 
who we are working with, either providing them strategy consultation, um, actually helping them shore up their current HR function. So they may have somebody working in the HR space, but they don't have a team behind them. So we come in almost like outsource bandwidth, right, to help them really deliver on higher level outcomes, et cetera. Or we take over HR for you and navigate it within your business. Our focus, though, is helping you build your team, helping uh, the, the Black female CEOs build their leadership capacity and EQ, and also helping them create a culture in their business that makes retaining people easy. Yes. And we do that really by allowing ourselves to understand how that CEO leads and helping them build an organizational structure that allows them to sit in their areas of genius and expertise. Right? So we're not trying to morph you into a different type of leader. Exactly. Yep, we're understanding who you are and helping you build an organization that makes sense for you. We have also are launching um, this, so not sure when this will air, but we're launching on February 15th um, a membership program called HR for the Culture TM. So do not use it. Do not steal my stuff out here in these streets. Okay, you got to say that. But it's called HR days. for the Culture, <laughs> and it is literally a monthly membership. We do live um, Q and A. We have an HR help desk that is 24 hours, but do not send emergencies. Like we need time to respond. We have a 24 hour help desk, live Q and A. Um, they have access to pick my pick my HR brain calls group Q&A sessions, things of that nature. And that actually will be launching on February 15th um, for the 15th, from, February, from now until actually the end of February, the introductory price is $2.97 a month. And if you come in at that level, you stay there. And then after that, it goes to $4.97 a month. But the value oh, is amazing. Templates, yeah, all that stuff. So we wanted to create something for individuals who are saying, I'm not ready yet for a four-figure month retainer. Right. But I need I need to know is my contractor a contractor. I need to know this stuff. I need access to somebody with that expertise level. And so we created the membership. And so um, you can go to HRForTheCulture.com and sign up. Um, but that price will go up in um, at the end of February. But we are taking individuals if they want to pre-order, pre-get in. Um, so we're opening it up that way. And I'm excited to serve. Uh, the community, I'm also like, I answer inboxes, right? I answer DMs. So, yes, yes, you know, like you me. Can also that's why I was like, we go together. Because I'm like, I answer my DMs. So, my, my, I'm like, my office manager is always like, if you don't stop doing business, she's, she has yeah, an actual like reminder for, on my calendar every day that says, please send Tiffany all of the DM chats and business you've done today. Thank you. <laughs> so, I actually like people. And yes. so, that, that'll be my flaw for a little while. Yes. Um, but com, or you can go to bit.ly work with JVP if you are in that space in your business where you're ready for outsource services I mean you're just in a different space so we wanted to meet people at multiple levels and not just say you know follow us on Instagram until you can afford us we wanted to right. create something you wanted to make sure um, that met people folks. where they were absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely I love it so so much y'all please make sure you are following this amazing human and her team and work. Make sure you sign up for HR for the culture, particularly because I have a bunch of folks who I know are listening who work in organizations and companies, but they are starting their thing on the side. Listen, y'all get some foundations to you so that you start building things right. So you don't end up like how I did where you had to go on and let everybody go and start again. <laughs> um, so do it right the first time. And listen, you and I are going to have to keep talking on different things. I, I pulled out like 97 
thoughts I had. My whole paper is full right now. But ooh, I gotta go back to this. Ooh, this is another one you and I can talk about. Ooh, and about this. Um, and so many quotables. So thank you so much for hanging out thank with you. me today and for it's just dropping so many gems. Absolutely, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. On our next episode, we'll be talking about the big I word, being an influencer, and what that really means. And you don't want to miss it. So you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button, and I'll be talking to you real soon. Let's get to work, darling. Let's get to work, darling. I'm like, oh, gosh, is it too late in the day for us to have a beverage? (sighs) Saturday. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can do a rum and coke if we need to be beveraging, but listen, want to keep it. Listen, listen, rum and coke is your that's your your choice, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 mostly a Knob Creek. Um, neat. And if I'm feeling real fancy, I might drop a little ginger beer in there. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and you ever, you ever meet people, particularly uh, guy, I've run into guys sometimes and they'd be like, oh, what? well, this is before the zombie apocalypse. And they'd be like, well, what do you drink? And I'd be like, oh, you know, I could just have fill in the blank, whatever whiskey is there. Um, neat. Right. And they'd be like, oh, oh, you drink that type of brown. Oh, oh, oh okay. I, I'm really not going to mess with you too tough. And I, for a long time, I was like, well, what does that mean? It's just what I like. <laughs> Evidently, it comes with a thing. What, what they basically said is that you ain't um you ain't drinking baby girl juice. <laughs> well, I'm like a um old fashioned or so I'd probably drink quote unquote man drink as well. I think that's what that's about. Like oh, because we don't want the light and fruity. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Uh huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what it is. Well, listen, that's essentially what it essentially is. Essentially what it is. Well, essentially what it is. If yeah. it can have an umbrella in it, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.